The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email, and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today. Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivi section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Miami-Dade Arena in Miami, Florida. UFC 287 headlined by a rematch between Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. And uh, very unusual these days that an arena is just named after like a county. It really is. Like, it's not it, like the, the you know, the. It, it's Florida, so it should be like the My Pillow Data Arena. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's. that's I'm shook. By that, yeah, really, I know it's like it's like we don't get Mile High Stadium anywhere anymore. Yeah, do, do we still have Soldier Field? I think they might have rebranded Soldier Field. Yeah. The fields aren't even just named after some rich guy anymore. They're all they're all you know like uh, they're all insurance companies and shit. Oh, we um, I think we still do have St- Soldier Field somehow. That has remained, but yeah, like we don't. We we used to have the King Dome in Seattle. We don't get any of that. We've got like T-Mobile Park and CenturyLink yeah. Field. Yep. Yeah. Ours ours uh, our baseball stadium, which I was at opening day for, actually. Look at you. Uh, sounds like it might be one of those old names, Great American Ballpark. Mm-hmm. But it's it's Great American Insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just picked a. <laughs> A uh, particularly innocuous and patriotic-sounding company name. At least, at least that if they could just do that, I I would be a little happier. Yeah, yeah. you know, what the hell's a T-Mobile? Exactly. If they if they found some local Seattle company and they're like, you know, Seattle Energy Stadium or whatever, City Light. We've got City Light here. If it was like City Light Park. Yeah, then I would be fine with that. That would sound a little more natural. Yeah, I can't wait till in the future till we have like the Pornhub dome and stuff like that. <laughs> that's what we need more is less reputable, but still very powerful companies. There we go. Just inserting themselves, no pun intended, <laughs> into the public eye. That would be good. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's uh, the fight is actually more interesting than the arena. Yes. By a small margin. And the pay-per-view overall, it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not it gonna... Took, it's one of those that somehow took a real hit in my mind... Uh, when it lost Chiesa Leach. Yeah. I was significantly, it just sort of fleshed everything out. And losing that, I wouldn't have thought of that as a linchpin fight. 
but without it, it's like, well, there's like maybe four interesting, like really interesting fights on here. Yeah, there are a lot of fights. There are a lot of familiar names, and there are some fighters that the UFC really wants to push, and it'll make for an interesting card. But at the same time, yeah, you know, you basically have one truly high stakes fight and mm-hmm. nothing, and everything else. You know, maybe someday down the road, this will have shaken out as a linchpin for somebody's career. But right. at the moment, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns isn't about to get a probably isn't about to get a welterweight title shot off a win over Jorge. Yeah, Mons at all. and that yeah. I mean, we'll get into it. But that fight is like one of several that really feel like sort of just sort of knocking the dust off the rankings. Yeah, exactly. In a few divisions are like, yeah, these guys have been sitting here. Let's they got to fight somebody relevant, and we'll get exactly. them out of there. And that's 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 what is on a lot of this card is just yeah. like there's there's some meaning that, like I say, somewhere down the line we could be looking at this and be like, oh yeah, that's the point. Adrian Yanez like became a top ten guy who is who is in contention, you know, uh, but it won't be. Because he beat Rob Font, he's now a title contender. Yeah. You know, that's that's the kind of thing. Anyway, let's let's dive into our main event, Alex Pereira, Israel Adesanya. And uh we are exact in the exact exact same position that we were walking into the fir- to the first UFC fight between these two. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and in fact, uh, you and me, and me and Phil, and especially me, pretty much nailed the prediction, <laughs> mm-hmm. right down to the the actual pick. Which is even when I get a really good picture of the dynamic, pretty accurately, the pick is always the thing I get wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we really got what was going to happen in this matchup. Yep. Uh, a couple little surprises, like for example, the. The we uh, we raised the possibility that Izzy might exploit the clinch a little more as mm-hmm. like a safety valve, and that didn't really work that well. Uh, Pereira seemed to have worked on his clinch. A couple other people pointed out that Pereira is not a very good kick defender. I I, I thought he was going to defend the kicks fine, which he did for the most part. Um, but really, it was the kind of fight where it's latter day Israel Adesanya. Over the course of his championship run, and almost right from the jump, um, he has become more passive, yep. more defensively minded, more cautious, and um, all of these things in a very tactical sense, because strategically, the smarter thing to do has very often been to go out there and get rid of his opponent, mm-hmm. as he's perfectly capable of doing. He is a very dangerous fighter. Yeah, just about knocked out, Alex Pereira. Of course, there's no um, standing eight count, but you can still get saved by you can get saved by the bell more in MMA, in fact, than you can in boxing or kickboxing. Where that's true, you still have to beat the count in those sports. Yeah, you still have to beat the count in those sports. In MMA, there is no count, so if you are at all conscious when the bell rings, you're safe. Yeah, I think a few times in the history of the UFC, I have seen a referee call a fight after a round has ended. Yeah, maybe very rare, very rare. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, like, Izzy needed to boss Pereira around. Mm-hmm. He needed to stop him from getting on a roll. He needed to keep a hold of the initiative. And 
there were several points in this fight where it seemed like he had the momentum on his side and he seemed to take that as a reprieve. Yep. That he now no longer had to fight as hard and more than once allowed Pedetta to get back into the fight. I think the most shocking example is after the end of that first round. The fact that Adesanya came out in the second and didn't look at all interested in following up. Yeah, and it, you know, you got to look at too at that at, at like the that Robert Whitaker rematch. Yeah. Oh yeah. As a really instructive thing for this fight. Yeah. Which is notably that like Whitaker and Adesanya both came into that rematch with like one adjustment mm-hmm. that they'd made, and Whitaker got hurt early again in that fight and he adjusted and figured out okay well I can't do the sit back and play safe thing that I had thought I could do I have to jab this dude's head off I have to jab this dude's head off and then the rest of the fight they just stayed stuck in the dynamic that that happened after that yeah they couldn't, there was no further, you know, from Adesanya, he'd hurt Whitaker, and there was no further tactical adjustment that he was going to make to yeah. recreate that kind of damaging potential. No. He was happy to just sort of, okay, well, I can stay out in front of him like this. I'll do that. He, like I said, you kind of got to take that as instructive of what is likely to happen in a rematch against Pereira with the added knowledge that Pereira really scares Adesanya. Yeah. And in a way that Whitaker does not. Yeah. So, so here is the thing I will say. I, I, I do have a gut feeling that Adesanya might finally beat Pereira here. He's got it one of these times. This fight is not nearly one side enough to smash them together a hundred no. times and, and have us yeah. not win like 25 or 30. Yeah, he's nearly knocked Alex out in two of their fights, two of their yeah. four fights. Um, uh, or two of their three, rather. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like at, at this point, if the if the penny hasn't dropped for Izzy Adesanya... After that, that being cautious is not equivalent to being smart. Yeah. That allowing a dangerous, murderous puncher 25 minutes to find the one punch, which you know he's capable of putting you away with just one. Yeah. Allowing him 25 minutes to find that shot is not actually smart and safe. Um, then he would have to be insane. And I, and I have... For the first thing that tipped me to this was, was when it, it came out that Eugene Behrman did not co-sign the approach he took to Pereira last time. Sure, why would he? It was Izzy's idea. Yeah. And Eugene Behrman is like, you need to be aggressive. And Adesanya's, like uh, Phil was was uh, reading a quote from, from him before uh, that uh, that title offense against Alex where he... He was saying, like, uh, I just think kickboxers are, you know, they think, like, aggression wins fights, and I'm just smarter than that. And that was really indicative of this extremely narrow, like, corner he had painted himself into, that, like, oh, being aggressive is for idiots. It's it's categorically a dumb way of fighting. The smart way of fighting is to 
uh, just to be way, way, way too patient and cautious. Yeah. Um, but the other thing to add to that is that I, I have seen a couple encouraging quotes from him in the lead up to this one. He has been saying things like, I need to knock Pereira out of the driver's seat. Yeah. I need to be in charge of the fight. Things like that. And just like with very similar, in fact, to Edwards Usman 3, I think the adjustment really is that simple. It does not, unlike that one, it does not make it a vastly more or a vastly like less dangerous fight. No, because Pereira's counter left hook is still the thing to fear. Yeah. And uh, as much as Adesanya very nearly KO'd uh, Pereira in their kickboxing rematch and likely would have without a standing eight count, um, he also got slept yeah. at the end of the exact kind of like aggressive control seeking performance that I'm talking about. Yep. Um, so it's, you know, fighting Alex Pereira is dangerous one way or the other. But the idea is like, you know, you can hurt him. You know he's way better when he's coming forward and able to set you up and, and build his combinations. And you know his defense is kind of shit. Yep. So, and also, you're Israel Adesanya. The thing you're actually good at is not this whole... His skill set is not really geared towards the game he has fallen into playing. No, it's not. I mean, he was he's such a good sticky jab fighter. Like, yeah. it is absolutely what he should be doing is... Operating on the front foot, yes. putting a jab in somebody's range of vision, and then cracking them behind it. Yeah, and tying up their hands and stepping in with elbows and knees, yeah. um, playing kicks off of his punches, baiting people with his with his head position, and then drawing shots that he can then counter aggressively. Yep. Building layers is what Israel Adesanya is actually good at. Mm-hmm. His defensive footwork is not great. No. His counterpunching, dangerous, but not great. He puts himself in a lot of weird, awkward positions. He's much better counterpuncher when he's on his front foot and he's yes. forcing an exchange that he then gets to counter. And Just that's only natural. Exchange. Exactly. And that is only natural. I mean, it's that way for most fighters. When you have yeah. the initiative, then reacting in time to a counter is way, way easier because it, it came at your bidding. You made yeah. it happen. Uh, you're in control. It's so much easier to get into a flow when you are dictating the exchanges. Um, So, yeah, I I really think there's a very strong chance um, that he comes in here and understands that Mm -hmm. and wins this fight. But having not seen it and knowing that there does seem to be this great psychological pressure that has driven him into this dangerously passive game, um, I'm going to essentially wish him luck by not picking it till I see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have, we, we've seen too many instances too, where somebody who is dangerous can, can convince Adesanya to take his foot off the gas. Yes. And that has been a repeated mental block for him. And unfortunately too, like, you know, I, maybe you kind of have to blame Anderson Silva here. Because I think Adesanya is sort of, you know, he's looking at the great champions of the past and saying, I also want to fight like that. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to replicate uh, Anderson Silva versus Damian Maya? (laughs) Honestly, I mean. We all aspire to put on fights like that. 
it, like, okay, I, I, you know, there's sarcasm there, but. No, he actually does. He yeah, thinks that's yeah. a brilliant, smart fight. Yeah. It's not, though. It's not, but. <laughs> it's not. Anderson Silva could have destroyed Damian Maya. If Nate Marquardt can knock out Damian Maya, Anderson yeah. Silva could damn sure do it. Yeah. He didn't have to fight the fight that way. No. And, but, and, and yeah, you like, you look at the, you know, Aldo in his prime, GSP at the height of his reign, Anderson yeah. Silva, the classic mold of the champion used to be guy who shuts his, his opponent down. Yeah. And I also who, just think that is a natural progression for, I, I think it used to be, I think it is the meta of MMA is trending toward away from it in a hurry. And the fighters that are fighting the best at the highest levels these days have realized that. And what they're doing is they're getting to the top and they're finding ways to step on the gas. They're finding ways to say, okay, well, what if now that I'm champion, instead of being shutting down my opponent and taking the fight out of taking the aggression out of the game and taking, making it more masterful and passive. What if I start upping the pressure and the ante and upping the volume and yeah. making you have to deal with a level and a rate of fighting that you cannot comp comprehend because now I have the money and the camp time to train to be, fit at a level that you're not going to be what if instead of shutting down his game i shut down his central nervous system exactly and <laughs> you know so you see uh you, know, you see fighters like Corey sandhagen and you see fighters like max holloway and like alexander volkanovsky yeah. you even see uh you know uh islam makachev out there Makachev, fighting volkanovsky moreno yeah, you see uh, Colby Covington, you know, like Usman when he was at the best of his championship run. Yep, it's true. You know, the, the modern trend for being a champ is not to be passive because of this, because your level of competition now is good enough that if you're trying to be the passive masterful fighter, like Alex Pereira is infinite times more dangerous than Yushin Okami. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or like, Damian Maya, yes. Or Damian Maya. There is a level of danger in hanging out with a, t a top contender in these divisions that is so much unfathomably fathomably higher than it used to be that it is hard to comprehend. Yeah. Like, yeah, Jose, uh, Jose Aldo was shutting down and styling on uh Frankie Kenny Edgar. Florian and Frankie Edgar and yeah and uh yeah. oh who was it damn it why have I forgotten whereas uh, even Jose Aldo yeah I think even with him it was situational like yeah yes he was in there sort of casually schooling Ricardo Lamas Ricardo Lamas that was what I was thinking it was like uh when he was pitted against Chad Mendez 2.0 he went after he went his ass it. Yeah, I tried to kill him many, yeah. many times. And same every time... thing with Max Holloway. Yes. You know? Yeah. So oh. even guys like Jose Aldo, who have had a lot of these passive performances, recognized when the appropriate response to the, to the, the level of the opponent was to crush them. To yeah. do what a champion should do 
to prove that somebody is a, is not worthy of being a champion, of, not just, worthy of having that. At the title. highest levels now, there are fewer and fewer people where you can just control masterfully. Yeah, they don't get yeah. to a title shot. Yeah, they are too. The, the The level of contender is too good, too strong, too powerful, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. you you're just not going to be a big. Islam Makachev is not going to be a huge athletic step up against uh, over Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, right. he can't just go out there and be like, oh, yeah, I can just put a hand in this guy's face and dance away from him. And what's he going to do? He's going to win. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that you can't just hang out with a guy like Pereira is not saying necessarily that you have to knock him out. Although, again, I want to stress that even though Izzy is the one who's been knocked out twice in these fights, he's obviously capable of knocking Pereira out. Yeah, I mean, I I think if there had been a standing eight count, honestly, in their first fight, in their last fight, yeah, there probably wouldn't would have been done. Oh, you mean if he had to beat a count before they went to the yeah, round but, break? Yeah, yeah, because he he was barely able to stand. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing that he stayed on his feet at all. It really was I mean, two shots in a row that like slumped him over on his feet. Um. But it doesn't mean that he has to knock Pereira out. The important thing is that he does not hang out with a comfortable Alex Pereira. Yeah. That he has to be in charge. of. The and fight. that is what we have not seen. We have That's not what we, seen We've him. seen it. The thing is, is unlike Leon Edwards, like we never saw any, anything like Edwards against Usman in the third fight. Mm-hmm. Ever. Even his most aggressive performances were A, against like, much less gifted wrestlers, much less gifted athletes, and they yeah. were still not that assertive. Not yeah. even close. He fought Peter Sabata, and he was coming forward, but he just threw single left hands and barely did anything. That that Usman fight was a whole... It was a transformation of Leon Edwards. Yeah. Israel Adesanya has done what he needs to do to Pereira many times before. Mm-hmm. So it is, if anything, more possible. It's just that it does seem to be a, a hole that he has dug himself into. But again, as the challenger, having hopefully had Eugene Behrman say, I told you so to him every day for the last year. Yeah. Um, and based on what he's saying, I, I, I do think he, he may very well try to do the, the stuff he's actually good at and try it, to take the fight out of Panetta's hands. God, it's all be so much fun to watch. Yeah, Absolutely. There is also the fact, I just want to raise this, that um, I don't know how much longer Alex Pereira will be able to make middleweight comfortably. Yeah, there is that. Uh, It's just something to consider that uh, I think there were some remarks from Glover Teixeira talking about how, like, he started cutting weight, like, a week and a half ago. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, The man is a heavyweight. Like, he is absolutely There's a reason we would pick him to beat Cyril Gaon. Yes, oh, 100%. Yeah, he's 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 absolutely huge. Yeah. So that is something that could be a factor. I have no idea if it will or not, so I'm not going to yeah. um, enter it into my actual analysis, but uh, it's something to be aware of. So, yeah, it, long story short, we both have to pick Alex Pereira, but this fight is right there. It is right there for Israel Asanya to take. He yeah. can win this fight. He has come so close. But you, how could you go into this having seen all of his fights and pick him like yeah. unless you, you you have to be doing it on a wing and a prayer because this is the exact same thing that we were talking about going into the second fight or the third fight rather 
yeah was just like oh yeah no 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 he can totally do this but Pereira's in his head and he's gonna let Pereira hang around and I can't imagine him letting Pereira hang around for five rounds and winning I just can't yeah I mean he almost did it but he yeah. didn't he didn't <laughs> he didn't it's just not smart I mean yeah Pereira opened up at plus 134 he is currently down at plus 119 as low as plus 105 or as low as minus 100 on some lines and Adesanya opened at minus 152 and is currently up at minus 138. That is to be a very rare occasion when you have a matchup which has been, at least on paper, dominated by one of the fighters where the other guy is the favorite. Yeah, I mean, he wins most, Adesanya wins most of the rounds. And also, I think, you know, if you're a gambling book, it's very smart to open Adesanya as a favorite. Very small one. Because you know people are going to jump on that line. Hmm. You know? And and you know not only are people going to jump on it, but there's a good chance Adesanya can win. You true. know? It's true. Like, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to get gamblers engaged, giving dog odds to Pet Pereira in a fight he could easily lose... I can see the sense in it. I'm just surprised by it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the guy has one questionable decision and two knockout wins over Adesanya. Yeah. Feels like... Feel, feels like it's his fight. He should not be the underdog. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal, and... Um... <laughs> what? Uh... <laughs> I'm just, you know, man, you and me, for you and me, Masvidal was like, he's a, he was a guy we love to turn to for years. Yeah. Because he's such a great example of a very specific type of fighter. Yeah. Nothing typifies this idea of the young veteran like Jorge Masvidal, mm-hmm. of the guy who spent all of his youth training against bigger, better more powerful fighters and became a very rugged survivalist and used that over years of experience to become an actually very dangerous, technically gifted fighter. Mm -hmm. It is, it's a really cool, it's a really cool story. It's a really cool kind of core example. Um, Success has rotted this man's brain. <laughs> and it's just even time comes for the, you know, even for the young veteran, time waits for no man. Yeah. Well, it's also not clear that it's just success, that perhaps it's just time. Uh, yeah. And, and also just us being exposed to more of Jorge Masvidal's thoughts. Yeah, but I mean, rather than just seeing him in the cage three or four times a year. Yeah, but I like I he was a literally you know you go strike force early UFC Jorge Masvidal that he was just a much more withdrawn person. Yes, and he got success, and man, did it feed his ego. Yeah, no question about that. And I think his ego getting fed has turned into worse decision-making. Yeah. 
because um, mm -hmm. go on what you see out of like Hart Masvidal has always he's had this survivor's instinct so he's always been a guy who you can put him on the back foot you can put him on his ass you can put him against the cage and he's going to feel happy and comfortable and he's going to survive but he also used to have a very particular instant drive of I need to get away from this when when somebody did put him there it was I'm happy and I'm I'm not worried that I'm going to lose but I need to make a snap decision now to change the narrative so that I'm not just stuck here you know uh, yeah he used to he would hit a switch he would scramble really well he would fight his way out of a a submission attempt or a back take or whatever yeah he's always had the problem of letting other his opponent dictate the fight yeah but he used to like we we said this many times. He used to like make a point of winning a wrestling exchange. Yes, against the guy who wanted to wrestle him against the fence. Exactly. He like took pride in it, being like, tactically, I can beat you in your game at, on at least one occasion. Now he seems to be more in the Robbie Lawler position of yeah. like, I actively hate what you are doing, and yeah. I don't think it's real fighting, and I I'm disdain you trying to beat me. And I'm just going to be unhappy about it. Yeah. Which has always been a problem Robbie Lawler has had. That he's just like, I'm here to I'm here to fucking throw down. I'm not here to like Yeah. If you want to have your fight, then I don't want to do this. Yeah. Unlike Robbie Lawler, and I think this is a combination of the uh now years long ego trip combined with some of the realizations that gave him his brief like post prime high mm -hmm. and age, you know, just yep. being slower, just being slower is that, um, his actual, like the game that he wants to play is worse than it used to be. Yeah. It's so like when his opponent isn't like Colby Covington or Kamar Usman isn't pinning him against the fence, he is making worse decisions as a boxer, which was always, mm -hmm. You know, Jorge Masvidal has, has for a very long time been probably one of the most well-rounded technicians in the sport. Yep. A guy who really can not just survive, but used to be able to compete um, everywhere, absolutely yeah. everywhere. And uh, and now, but but the, the boxing was always the A game. That's the stuff yeah. he was he was really most comfortable with. And now the boxing is shit too. Yeah. Like it's like he he picked up the idea that he can do like interesting trick shots. Mm -hmm. Uh in, in those couple big wins that got him to a title shot. And now he's like constantly looking for those like weird stutter step, overhand lefts and things like that. Only I mean and, and this is the other thing is that uh, time has not been kind to Jorge Masvidal's big wins. <laughs> Like, yeah, so suddenly beating Ben Askren and Darren Till doesn't seem that impressive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so so like even in the moments where there were times when keep in mind the Colby Covington who beat Jorge Masvidal is like post Usman Colby Covington mm -hmm. post um, American top team Colby Covington dealing with all his own confidence issues dealing yeah. with technical the the act tactical regression of a camp that doesn't has never been about making tactical decisions yeah 
And so there were moments when, as he did in the second fight against Usman, he took his foot off the gas and was like trying to be a non-pressuring striker. Mm-hmm. Even though his entire game is built around output and pressure. And um, Jorge didn't take over the fight in those moments. No. He didn't have a clear, decisive advantage. He did use his jab still some, but it wasn't like the foundation of everything he was trying to do with his striking. He wasn't like laser accurate countering kicks like he used to be. Yep. Um, And yeah, some of that was just worse decision making, but some of it also is that uh, he, he, he realized he was an athlete just before his athleticism fell off. Yeah. So now he's just not fast enough for the trick shots he's more and more reliant on to actually be tricky. Yep. And this is why I laugh. This is why I, my first thought is just like, man, like I have enjoyed watching Jorge Masvidal's game so much over the years. Yeah. Really honestly have. Gilbert Burns is going to run him over. Well, you get to have your cake and eat it too. You got to watch, you got to enjoy his game as a, a, uh, truly um tenured journeyman yep and now you get to enjoy his downfall yeah i mean mean, it's a win-win for us assholes like us yeah and like i you know i really do try not to to like hold a fighter's brain against them because the what the path down that path madness lays so i try not to 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 get on like you know Jorge Masvidal's personal politics or all that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't really care. There's uh, some joke there about something, something brain. Would you hold it against me? But I can't quite find. Yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Is that a, is that a, is that a brain in your, in your cup or <laughs> whatever? I don't know. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, you can see that the ballpark I'm in. Yeah. I, I feel the outline of the joke. <laughs> It's, it's like one of those blind those restaurants where they blindfold you in the dark. Yeah, it's like I can, I have a sensation of a joke. Yeah, but now with the lights off, I have no idea what it is. Yeah, we're playing Battleship. We've tried F five. We've tried. Yeah, we've tried G four. We're not finding it. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. Point being, is this a destroyer? Or is this one of the big ships? I can't even yeah. tell what shape it is. Point being, I. I would like to see Jorge Masvidal not be in this position where, because a, a fight against Gilbert Burns feels like five years ago, like this would be a very fascinating fight for Masvidal in a, in a potentially very winnable fight. I would say there's two fantasy versions of this matchup. I would not pick Jorge Masvidal to beat any version of Jorge Masvidal to beat this version of Gilbert Burns. Yeah. Because this version of Gilbert Burns is very aggressive and assertive and yeah. will take full advantage of an opponent who has always had a penchant for letting his opponents dictate the fight. Yeah, I agree. I would have picked an earlier version of Jorge against an earlier version of Gilbert. Yeah. If it was the Gilbert who lost to Rashid Magomedov, Absolutely. I think Jorge might have given him fits. That's what I'm saying. Is it like there was a point where this fight was really interesting, and yeah. where I I, w- I would have picked Masvidal even potentially. Yeah, but it now it just seems like there's a gulf that I don't, I do not at all trust for a moment that Masvidal is going to pull out some magical single moment of stunning offense to win this fight. And if he's not going to do that, he's not going to win. Yep, I I really don't even have anything to add, but I haven't. Uh... 
added uh, already in the form of an interruption. Gobert's uh, too aggressive. He's going to out-wrestle Jorge. He's going to out-grapple him, but he doesn't even have to do that the whole time. He's going to get an opponent who backs up too easily, who corners himself, who is no longer as good at countering yeah. and has always been, especially in the early going, not great defensively Yeah, uh, as a striker. So Gilbert is, I think, going to have free reign to kind of do what he wants as long as he maintains the aggression uh, he has... Uh, he has made himself known for. Let's see. Uh, Burns opened around four, uh, 420 or so, and is currently sitting at 455, between 450 and 500. Minus, oh, presumably. Minus is a favorite, yep. Masvidal opened at three, 350 or so, and is currently at three, 370, 380. So reasonable line getting wide line is wide and getting slowly wider. And I'm not at all surprised by that because nope, it doesn't even feel inaccurate. Yeah. It just does not feel like a fight that Masvidal is in the space to win at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gasses now too. I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. He's gotten sloppy like and slow. And I think the ego thing has been, yeah, really not great for him. That brings us to a bantamweight bout, Rob Font, Adrian Yanez. And uh, this is an interesting fight. It, this is a fascinating fight. It still has the potential to be a, are we ousting a, a fighter who is done being at the top? Yeah. But this one, I, I think much more than the others of, it, of its kind on this card, it feels more like a genuine crossroads fight. Yeah. Like really we look, does. we look at Burns Masvidal. You're like, no question, I'm picking Gilbert Burns. Yeah, this is genuinely a step up for Adrian Yanez. Mm-hmm. A and big, a huge step. It really from is. Tony Kelly. Absolutely. Uh, Davy Grant. It's a. It's still a big step from Davy Grant. Yeah. Rob Font is a much more volume and control. Here is my consistent technical game. You have to deal with fighter. Yeah, a more accomplished fighter than anyone yep. Adrian Yanez has fought before. Yep. And um, and very different from the like uh, similarly uh, qual- similar quality fighters he has faced. Like, yes, Davy Grant is probably on a tier with this version of Rob Font, but Davy Grant's a very different fighter from Rob Font. Yeah, <laughs> very very different. And there is that uh, early UFC fight Giannis had with. Uh, what's the guy's name who always gasses after three and a half minutes? Uh, Randy, Randy Costa. Costa. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Randy Costa fight to consider where Giannis is often a, a bit of a slow starter. Uh-huh. He's, you know, he's a very thoughtful tactical fighter. He likes to get his reads. He likes to, uh, he likes to, to get a feel for his opponent's sort of rhythm. And uh-huh. then he can, uh, use his extremely aggressive defense and find open up counters on them. Mm-hmm. And um, that fight with Randy Costa, he just got completely lit up with jabs. Yeah. For like three minutes straight. He, he got his nose busted up. He was getting his head snapped back. Um, and it was all, I mean, Ra- Randy Costa was mixing in his kicks and everything else he likes to do, but it was really centered on the jab. And Rob Font's whole game is centered on the jab. Yeah. And Rob Font's whole game 
unlike Randy Costa's, lasts for as long as he needs it to. Mm-hmm. It lasts longer than it should, all things yeah. considered. Given yeah. that his last two fights, he has been jabbing up people who, every time they hit him clean, very nearly knocked him unconscious. Yep. And somehow he gets back up or he goes to the corner and comes back out and goes right back to the Rob Font game. He's a super well-conditioned fighter. He is very disciplined and very coachable. And uh, he knows what he's good at. He knows how he wins fights. And he yep. is extremely difficult to put off of that path. Very. Uh, Randy Costa would have collapsed even if Giannis hadn't start figuring out the jab and countering him, which he did to his credit. Yep. He, he solved that problem over the course of that one round uh, and then came out in the second. But Costa was is a fighter who is just incapable of adjusting because he has no he doesn't have any staying power. Yeah. Um, that's very different from Rob Font. It is. Uh, um, I still think this has strong potential to be a heartbreaking repetition of the same pattern that Rob Font has been suffering now for 10 straight rounds. Yeah. He, his, his offensive decision-making can adjust. Yeah. But Font's positioning and his footwork and his yeah. entries rarely do. Yeah. He is not a good defensive striker. Yeah. He has nothing beyond a pretty, uh, a pretty like static, unadjustable high guard, mm-hmm. and his footwork and the footwork usually fails him particularly after he has committed to anything more than just a jab or two. Yeah, as soon as Rob Font lets the right hand go, I mean, I love the way that he plays it off the jab. He really mixes up the targets with it. He's got the uppercut. He's got the straight and the hook to the body. He's got the straight and the hook to the head. And it all plays off the jab. So he lands a lot of these strikes. But anytime he throws the right hand, he is out of position. Yeah. And then he better cover up in time. And he better hope his opponent isn't smart enough to get around that guard. Yep. Because it's all he's got in these awkward positions. And... um Adrian Giannis is just a fantastic counterpuncher. He really is. He, he is just a super sharp, smart, adaptable counterpunching fighter. And, and he's not somebody who um, can only counter. He is a very flexible boxer, a, a boxer puncher, I suppose mm-hmm. you would say. He can kind of do everything, and he's, he's perfectly happy to get on the front foot and take over the fight and, and beat the shit out of his opponent if that's the right thing to do or if he feels like it. But um, a, lot of his, a lot of his opportunities start off of the counter. And that is where Rob Fawn, I think, is just particularly vulnerable. It is where Cheeto Vera and Jose Aldo just repeatedly wrecked him. Yeah. And... Um, so, yeah, I, I, there's the possibility that Giannis is going to struggle with the jab. There's also the fact that uh, Randy Costa was insanely aggressive with his jab. And Font is not really like that. Yeah, he's not a wild man. He's never no. going to. He's not. That doesn't. Costa was throwing that jab like Dan Henderson throws his right hand. Like, yeah, he was just stepping in, just ramming it down Giannis's throat. And um, Font is. He does not use his jab that way. His jab was designed to set up the rest of his game. Yep. And because of that, I I, I don't think it it might take a little bit. Giannis is definitely going to 
eat a lot of jabs to start with, but there is a predictable rhythm that Rob Font falls into. Mm-hmm. This is another reason that these these other dangerous fighters keep finding ways to just hurt him with single shots. Is uh, the, the the Rob Font's shot selection is excellent, but he has always had the feeling of a very rote fighter. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Is that like he can he his ability to to pick targets and to change to change up and adjust offensively to what he's seeing. Yeah, is really good. But defensively, it it never rhythm and defensive wise, yeah, it it never adjusts. Yeah, that part I, never changes. I have to assume a guy like Adrian Yanez is, um, before the halfway point of this fight, going to get a pretty good idea of what Rob Font is doing and when he's open to be hit. Now I will say this though, yeah. this is the thing that's giving me pause, is if Yanez does start slow enough that Rob Font can take mm-hmm. over round one. I can see Font scraping out round one, getting shellacked in round two, mm-hmm. and then scraping out round three. Sure. Because I... one of the things that I have seen with Yanez, and I think is just a worthy point of caution, is that, and this showed up in the Grant fight, is that somebody who just doesn't go away and keeps pressing him, mm-hmm. the game Yanez has is so active that it really requires a lot of him. It's, he, he has a bit of uh, Rafael Fazeev. Yeah. Like, he is so... His defense is so active. And he's having to process so much that if some... Like, Davy Grant just didn't go away. And just stayed on him. And lo- that last round of the fight, Yanez had to take his foot off the gas. Yeah. Which, I mean, and, as he gets older, he, there's like two ways he can build on that. He either needs to become more Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Who is essentially MMA's uh, James Tony, Just yeah. incredibly relaxed and perfectly happy to get hit as long as he's rolling with the shots and not taking them clean. Or, and even at times with Lawler, just take a round off. Just be yeah, like, you know, sure. I don't need this round. I yeah. got it. Yeah. Or he needs to develop a, uh, a like plan B recovery game where he's active and he's using his jab, but he's moving around and not having to make a bunch of quick fire decisions in mid range all the time. Yeah. He has not yet demonstrated the, that necessarily. Yeah. I, I also, I also want to bring up that like Rob font doesn't have to be the Rob font who lost to Vera and Aldo. Like it has been a year since the Aldo fight, Aldo fight, which is very good. I think he needed a significant layoff after two fights like that in a row. Yeah. Rob Font has not always been the insane output guy who's constantly putting himself in the pocket. He also can use his reach and try to force Adrian Yanez to take the lead. And I don't think that would necessarily be a terrible idea. It might also open the opportunity for Font to use his kicking game and to use his wrestling a little bit. Yeah. And to kind of mix up and and yeah, make Yanez take the risks. He he is going to have a reach advantage here. I'm pretty sure. Font's got a 71 and a half inch reach. Yanez has a 70 inch reach, so not a big one, but one. Yeah, and he's also um, an inch taller. He'll yeah. have a functional reach advantage. He's a very jab forward fighter. Um, I think that might be a possibility, but I don't know, man. Yanez is just so dangerous. And so sharp 
Yeah. Um, it's really Font's chin that has me thinking. Yeah. You know, he if if Giannis starts slow and fades early, then Giannis could have a really good round two, bookended by a couple rounds he loses. But, and I was about to, I was about to think maybe I'll just pick Font on a flyer. But we have a rule; it's a good rule, and I should stick with it. Which is that if you can see one fighter clearly winning a round, yeah, of a fight, and the other rounds being close, yeah, pick the clear round winner. Yeah, because any round that's potentially a clear Rob Font round has a very large potential for him to eat one shot that loses it for him. Yeah. That's the problem, is that even if Giannis is put into a position where he has to severely drop his output, it's not like Jose Aldo and Chito Vera were matching Rob Font's output to be... No, they weren't. Not necessary. It's it's, you're going to have opportunities to hit him, and he is going to show it when you hit him clean. Yeah. That's the concern. Yeah, I'll take Giannis as well, but this is a great fight for that. It's, because it's very good. It's a this is a, like a genuine divisional sorting matchup, and not just yeah. a sort of like clearing out, you know, dusty old crap. And Giannis doesn't just have the Masvidal look; he has that young veteran thing yes. where, like, yeah, he is clearly a fighter who has learned to survive first and foremost, and he's. 29 now but he's been at this for eight years for nine years yeah and i I think he is more inherently he he enjoys hurting people and yeah stunting on people but he he's i think the the lawler comparison is good too like he's not necessarily innately a round winning fighter yeah he wants to let you come to him and figure it out as it goes yeah so we'll see we'll see what this looks like i like the fight a lot um it's a step down of the kind of problems that Font has been running into at the very top level. Right. And for Yanez, it's just a whole new problem to solve that he's never had to solve before, which yeah. is somebody who will stay technically consistent and proficient and will just stay in front of him and match him and not make a lot of big, obvious errors. And and won't go away even when you hurt him. And won't go away even when you hurt him. Yeah, very very high stakes matchup for both yep. guys. Font is the underdog here. Opened at plus one twenty six. Currently up at plus one fifty five. And uh, Yanez opened at minus one forty. Currently down at minus one seventy five or so. So odds getting wider. I don't think they should get that odd or we'll get that wide rather. Uh, font. Like, Yanez has not yet proved anything to the level that Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera have. Right. You know, he is. He looks good. He looks like a good fighter. He looks like a good fighter in his prime right now. But knocking out Tony Kelly and Randy Costa and Gustavo Lopez and going to a split decision with Davey Grant. Yeah, I mean, he I, he did pretty clearly win that fight, in my opinion, but... But it was certainly competitive throughout. Yeah, you know, these are these are fights that they don't necessarily say, oh, this guy absolutely is going to be a top contender. Yeah. And beating Font would we would put him in that in that air, put him clearly as a top 10 fighter. If he beats Rob Font. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Kevin Holland, Santiago Ponzinibbio. 
I mean, like we, you get to talk about the cool ones to open up. <laughs> Meanwhile, this is, this is what do you mean? This isn't cool. This isn't stupid. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> it's a it's a cool fight. Every Kevin Holland fight is a cool fight, a but guy. this is also just like there's not a read to make here, really, <laughs> because. Ponzinibbio, like we've seen what now Ponzinibbio is, which is now, he, you know, he used to be a a pressure puncher who built pressure over time. And now he doesn't really have the speed uh, and the durability that he used to he's not his chin's not shot but he gets hurt more he gets hurt basically every fight now he's hurt basically every fight now which means that he's no longer a slow building pressure fighter he's just a slow starter yeah who can punch his way into the fight given enough time you know he is still he still has the ability to make reads and the in, the instincts of a great puncher, yeah. So that if he can get if he can get time and he can stay in the fight, he can land better and better as it goes on. But it's not because he's building something; it is just because he is surviving and he is finding his moments more and more. Yeah, I, th- I think what it, what occurred to me watching the the footage for this is that there are now two Santiago Ponzinibbios in every fight. Yeah, pretty much. Basically, he had, uh, you know, he, he was on his tear, ended in 2018. I, I don't recall specifically what it was. I think it was a series and of injuries. Yeah. He's had, he had some, uh, he had, uh, I believe he also had uh, an infections with like uh, yeah. MRSA or uh, staff as well. A series of, of health issues. Yeah. It, it forced him into a long layoff. He did not return until... 2021. Uh, yeah, it was like 23, 24 months between yeah. uh, between fights there. 24, 25, actually. Yeah. And then he came back, and he was notably not the same guy. Like, immediately yeah. against the Leech. That was his comeback opponent. And it was like... slow starter, the increased fragility on display immediately. Yeah, and he just looked incredibly tentative and like he was worried about getting countered. Yep. Um... And he did get countered. He got knocked out. And now he has continued to start all of these fights in that mode. Yeah. Where And, and I think he has been trying to build his game back to account for that. Like, mm-hmm. certainly against Alex Morono, against Michelle Pereira, he was more, um, he was trying to be more active with his jab and trying to be like, okay, if I'm not going to be getting into the pocket right away, I should at least be getting work done and being safe. Yeah. Doesn't look comfortable for him. Like, I did not like the way he was dipping with his jabs against Morono. Uh-uh. Like, there's a way to throw a slip jab, and there's a wrong way to do it. His was not the right way. Uh, it just looked like a guy who, yeah, was trying to keep his... The jab has always been a centerpiece of his boxing game, as it should be. And he was aware he might get countered, and he didn't want to. Yeah. What also happens in these fights is then he gets hurt, or he gets more comfortable. It's, he either gets put in the position of, okay, I have to go or die. Yep. Or he gets into the position of, I'm, I'm starting to feel it now. And then he becomes a lot more like Santiago Ponzinibbio classic. Mm-hmm. 
but the end result is that he starts slow in all these fights, and then basically it has to become a blood and guts brawl. Yeah. With like more or less even chances against a wide variety of opponents. Yep. Uh, for him to recapture some of that old aggression. Yep. And with that in mind, like you, you have to pick Kevin Holland here. Kevin Holland's just going to, new Kevin Holland is just going to donk him with like the stupidest right hand you've ever seen. Yeah. It's going like, to suck. Holland is, he is becoming less the. Like, unfortunately, he's really putting on display the difference between being a middleweight and being a welterweight. Yeah. Which is that, like, at middleweight, he was crafting this little space for himself as, like, the technician. Yeah. Like, oh, Kevin Holland can teach you something out there. He throws some long, straight punches. He counters with venom in the pocket if you come after him. Got some pretty solid defense. Got some solid defense. He he can wrestle you and complain about it. <laughs> um, blame you blame you for it yeah and then he drops to welterweight and suddenly now he's just like he's just trying to big brother people yeah. and swing like, wild. i'm huge i'm a god yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just 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 doink people over the head yeah the, and the, the, the disappointing thing about this is that the version of Kevin Holland who fought like Darren Stewart or Joaquin Buckley yeah. against this version of Ponzinibbio, I think it would have aligned to essentially recreate something like Ponzinibbio Nordin Taleb, which was a yeah. fantastic fight. Yeah. I would have loved to see that style clash. Um, now it's like, and I can't even blame Kevin for it in this case, because it's probably the smarter way to fight is just go out there and try to wreck the dude. Yeah. But uh, it is a bit of a shame. It is, because he's just going to go out there and he's going to throw hammers at Santiago Ponzinibbio and he's going to be fearless about it. And it's going to work, I think. I think it's just going to, you know, yeah. Kevin Holland has always been ridiculously durable. Yeah. And his confidence is very hard to break. And even against guys like uh, Michelle Pereira, who aren't as confident and who are easier to break, that's just been like it's been a mountain that Ponzinibbio can't climb anymore. Yeah, you know he can he can find a way to get back in and have a competitive late rally, but early on, he just can't catch up to these guys. Yeah, and. Holland is fast and he hits hard and he's rangy and I think you just got to take him here to 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 be a wild man and not pay for it early on and by the time that Ponzinibbio finds a way to make him pay for it, it it's not connected to a strategy that he can win the fight with yeah now I will say it's an incredibly inefficient way of fighting that Kevin Holland has discovered yeah yeah no it's not great um it, you know, his defense has completely gone to waste. Mm -hmm. His combination punching, everything about his positioning is now just trash because he just flies at his opponent with a punch. Um, there are definitely ways for pawns to win here. Like, yeah, yeah. Pawns classic, I would pick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the fragility that is the real concern. But like even getting hurt early, Kevin is always had a problem with slowing down later, even in three round fights. Yeah. Um, Ponzinibbio does kick the leg. He does work the body. He's still a diverse uh, striker with good shot selection. 
Um, he can wrestle a little bit if he has a mind to. Kevin Holland still can't. He's bigger and stronger now, but he's still bad yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin broke his own hand in his last fight. So who knows? That might yeah. be something going forward uh, as it was a recurring issue for Ponzinibbio. But I am also going to pick uh, Kevin Holland to win in the stupidest way possible. Yeah. All right. Odds on that bout. Holland is a pretty sizable favorite. Opened at about plus or minus two fifty, and is more or less right still in that range. Some books even have him as high as minus three fifty. And Ponzinibbio opened at uh, plus two fifteen, two twenty, and is currently sitting at. Uh, plus 200 or so. So, yeah, that, that's reasonable to me. All right, that takes us to our final fight on the main card. Raul Rosas Jr., Christian Rodriguez. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this is you, but we should speed this up. And No, yeah, let's get through it quickly. Go for it. Just Rodriguez takes himself out of position. He yeah. fights himself into the clinch, and even against Joshua Weems, that got him taken down immediately. Yeah, several times, in fact. Yeah, Rosas is not anywhere near the striker he thinks he is, but he is absolutely sold on his own aggression, and he's a great back taker. Yep, and An extremely crushing positional grappler. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like Rodriguez can afford to give up position as easily as he did against Weems and not just at least lose every round in which that happens, if not yep. get finished. Yeah. So you got to take Rob. I got to take Rob. Same. Uh, oh, apparently we are also, uh, let me, let me just, uh, read the odds here and, Rosas opened at minus 175, currently minus 233. Uh, Yeah, in the minus 200, mid-minus 200s range. Rodriguez opened at plus 156, currently plus 203. Uh, You know, I think the odds could get a little wider, honestly. I I didn't see anything out of Rodriguez in his his last fight that suggests that um, he's going to be you know, you even look at his his record and like you see arm bar, ground and pound, rear naked choke, third round TKO, uh, anaconda choke against Josh Weems. I just don't see anything about his game that says he's going to stay off the ground or win if he's there. Yeah. All right. On that note, that wraps us up for the main card vivisection. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Con on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over bloodyelbow.com. No bonus content this week. We're entirely whole episode, just classic, Vivi classic, all free, no paywall, no nothing, whatever. Uh, we will be back with bonus content next week, but uh, we're on a bit of a crunch this week. So thanks everyone for hanging with us. And we will see you next time. The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. 
While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email, and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today.